0: Uh, I remember growing up, my grandfather would talk about and share stories about his time in World War II and what he experienced there. Uh, My my grandmother would tell stories about what it was like to grow up in the Great Depression. And she said, you know, Chad, we, we ate potatoes like every single meal. That was like the one staple that we had in our home. My dad talks about his childhood and growing up with an alcoholic father and living in pretty extreme poverty. My mom talks about her younger brother who had this friend who would come over all the time and she couldn't stand this guy and she ends up marrying him and that person's my dad to this (laughs) day. Uh, We tell our kids stories about what it was like going to school back in the day, right? Walking two miles, uphill both ways, no shoes on in the snow. You guys know that story. We tell that one a lot. You know, from the beginning of time, stories have been pretty important in our culture, and they have been used to, to really teach us something. Now, we learn a lot about history. We learn a lot about our families, and we learn a lot about our, our friends. Uh, we learn a lot about life through stories that are being told. And that's why today we start this new series, as Vanessa was talking about, called Stories. And so over the next eight weeks, this is really our summer series. This is going to take us to the end of August. We're going to talk about these stories that Jesus told. Now, we know them as parables, but these parables are just stories with a meaning. And Jesus would tell these stories to people that he was meeting and and in a crowd with. He would tell them to religious leaders. He would tell them to his disciples. And every single time he would tell a story, there was a meaning behind it. There was a purpose, a teaching that would come out of that. And so every week as we go through this series, we're going to look at one of those parables. and We're going to talk through it and we're going to see what we can learn from it. Even 2,000 years later, we, we kind of look back and think, hey, we can't learn anything from this. And, and the truth is there's a lot for us still to learn today. And so we're going to do that. And and by the way, the other thing we're doing, just like we did with the Abraham series, uh, our weekly readings, they are on the QR code there. They're on our app. They're on our website. We'll put them on our social media uh, posts. But we're going to be reading through the different parables that Jesus teaches. So I hope you'll take the time to join us each week as we read through that. All right? Now, what's our first one? The first one is a story that we're probably all familiar with. In fact, People who know nothing about the church, know very little about Jesus, oftentimes they use this story when they're talking, which kind of blows my mind. Uh, Our kids last week, if you have kids in elementary age, they talked about this in their classes. We're going to talk about the good Samaritan. And we can find the story being told in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. Here's what it says. It says, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this guy is asking a pretty deep question. It's a question that's probably been asked for thousands of years. How do I I get this this life after this life that I'm living right now? How do I get this eternal life? Now, he's not actually asking this question because he wants to learn. He's asking this question because as we read here, he's testing Jesus. He's hoping to catch Jesus saying something that he can use against Jesus because they're trying to get rid of Jesus. Jesus is causing too much turmoil in their political system that they're in and they're trying to get rid of him. And so this question that is asked is really a trap for Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in verse 26. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself right Jesus told him do this and you will live remember the Jewish people they lived in this theocracy there were laws and rules in place but they were very connected to their religious society this was a a political religious society that they were part of and these religious leaders they were experts in the law and the laws of the Jewish people. And those laws came out of what we know in the Old Testament as those first five books of, of the Bible. And so basically we have this attorney who's asking Jesus this question and asking about these, these laws, right? He, he knows these laws. But I love the way that Jesus responds. And Jesus responds to people like this almost every single time. Every time he gets a question, he comes back with a question. And so he asked this guy the question. He's like, well, what do you think? I mean, you're an expert in the law. You tell me what the answer is. And the guy answers. He says, love God and love people. And Jesus is like, that is right. That, that, that is the right answer. Great job. But remember, this religious leader, he doesn't really care about any of that. He's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to test Jesus. And so he asked another question, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, this is actually another loaded question for Jesus, and it's really based on how the Jewish people defined your neighbor. For the Jewish people, when they, when they talked about neighbors, they were not talking about, or they, yeah, they, they weren't talking about people who just lived beside you, right? We've talked about that before. You know, our neighbor kind of expands from the people who live beside us. But there were limits. It didn't go beyond the Jewish community. Your neighbor was confined to people that were part of the Jewish community. So if you went outside the Jewish community, those people, they were not your neighbors. And so this was very confined again to Jewish way of thinking and Jewish way of life. And Jesus knows this. And so he begins to tell a story, one that we're familiar with. Looking at verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him and said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar and that's the joke, that was it, Not anymore. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, now, for real, we got this guy, he's traveling. We, we have some details here. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is like a, a 17 to 20 mile trip. Uh, it's a pretty deep uh, or steep uh, descent from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 3,500 feet uh, in altitude change. Um, th- this road kind of meandered through some pretty isolated places. And honestly, if you were traveling this road, it was like the Wild West. There were robbers and thieves all over the place. I mean, you had to be very careful. Most of the time, you didn't travel alone for that particular purpose. And we kind of think, well, man, that must have been a terrible place 2,000 years ago. Less than 100 years ago, that road was still known to be extremely dangerous due to thieves and, and robbers. Well, we have this piece. We kind of know the context of where this guy is. Now, Jesus doesn't give us the nationality of this particular man. But it's understood in the story that he would have been Jewish. And as he's walking, these thieves come out. They beat him. They strip him of his clothes. He's left naked. He's left half dead. And into this scenario, Jesus now brings these three characters. The first one is a priest. The priest knows the law. The priest lives the law out. The priest follows the law. And the priest is going to really make sure that you, as someone who is Jewish, that you are fully following the law too. And so for, for the priest, his focus was strictly on the law. And so he sees this man as he's walking down this road. He sees the guy has been beaten. He sees that he's, he's naked there on, on the side of, of this, the street. And, and his focus on the law kicks in. He goes back to the stuff that he knows about the law. And here's what he knows. He knows if this guy is dead and he touches him, he knows he has broken the law. He's guessing he's dead. He doesn't know that he is dead. He doesn't go to check this thing out. He just knows that if he touches him and he's dead, he's breaking the law. Because in that culture, the only people that could touch a dead person was the people that were part of that family. And so his, his law stuff, everything he knows about the law just kind of kicks in. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with this. It's just better for me to just pass this guy on, walk on, and just go about my business. And that's what he does. Next, we have this Levite. Uh, the, the, the priests were kind of like varsity level when it came to the religious culture there, right? The, the Levites, they were like junior varsity um now they were similar to the priest i mean they knew the law they they followed the law they didn't give you as much grief if you weren't following the law they really their main job was to do a lot of work inside the temple itself and so they were kind of a a, a tear down but the law was still their focus right and so this guy the levite he also assumes that, that this guy must be dead he knows the law about if I touch a dead guy, then there's ceremonial defilement that is taking place. I've broken the law. I don't want to break the law. He's like, I, I'm just going to walk on the other side and, and go about my business. And that's what he does, too. It uh, kind of reminds me of, as I was reading this over the past couple of weeks, right when the pandemic uh, hit, and, you know, we were all like, we got to get out of our homes. So we started walking. Like, all of us were out walking in our streets and our neighborhoods. And, um, Remember there at the very beginning when you'd be walking, somebody would come towards you and you'd see each other. And in that moment, the next thing you know, they're, they're running as fast as they can across the other side of the street. Because they're afraid they're going to breathe in your air and you're going to give them COVID, right? I mean, this is kind of the way we function for quite a while. Maybe some people still do that, but when I read this part of the story, for some reason, it always kind of reminds me of that because they're like, we don't want to mess with you. You, you, You're messy, you're sick, you might be dead. We're just going to act like nothing's going on. We're going to act like we're going to save ourselves and go to the other side of the road. And so here are the first two people that come through this priest and a Levite. then, Then Jesus adds a third person. Now, I'm sure as these religious leaders are are listening, their expectation is, all right, there's going to be a twist. You know, it's got to be a twist to the story. Jesus started with a priest. He he had a Levi next. This next person is going to be Jewish, but they're probably going to be like a lay person. I mean, this is the the big twist that's going to be here. But but whoever it is, they're still going to be Jewish. Jesus throws them a curveball because the third person that he throws into the story is a Samaritan. And I bet when they heard the, the term Samaritan, maybe in their minds, they're like, oh yeah, here comes another villain in the story. But Jesus doesn't use the Samaritan as a villain. Jesus uses the Samaritan as the hero. And, and as these leaders are listening to this story, they would have been totally thrown off by, by what Jesus is, is telling them. But the question is, you know, why? Well, it was all about the relationship that the Jewish people had with the Samaritans. One of the issues was that the Samaritans, they weren't fully Jewish. Now, at one point in time in their history, they were, but then they began to intermarry with other nations, and so they became sort of this this mixed culture. For the Jewish people, if you were not fully Jewish, then you were a second-class citizen. And so as a Samaritan, they didn't care about you, they didn't like you, they had issues with you so you 've got that piece to, to this relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, but another issue is religion. Um, Samaritans, because they had a Jewish background and, and still were partly Jewish, uh, they believed in God, they, they worshiped God not quite to the maybe the extremes the Jewish people did, uh, but but they, they were religious. Um, now, they, they did look at the, what we call the Old Testament, which the Jewish people, every single book in there, they're like, hey, this is, this is all for us. For them, for the Samaritans, they only really thought the first five books of the Old Testament were canonical. Everything else was just kind of fluff for them. And so there was that piece to it. Uh, their temple wasn't in Jerusalem. It was in Mount Gerizim, which is a little distance away from Jerusalem. And so you've got all these differences that are there. You've got this tension that is a part of this story. And for Jesus, he doesn't use someone who is Jewish as the hero. He uses the Samaritan. And this probably would have been pretty upsetting to those leaders. But here's what Jesus says. The Samaritan stops, has pity on this man. He pours wine on his wounds as an antiseptic. He puts olive oil on these wounds because that would have eased the pain. He bandages him up. He puts him on this donkey, takes him to this inn. He's like, I will do whatever it takes to make sure this guy has everything he needs so that he can recoup from what's happened to him. Then we read this in verse 36. It says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. We have three different men who walk up to this same scene. And all three of them respond in some way. They have a choice to make. The first two, the priest and the Levite, they see this man, but the law kicks in. They have all this knowledge. They know if they touch this guy and he's dead, that that's going to be a big issue for them. So they decide, we're not going to deal with this guy. We're, we're going to move on. We're, going to, we're just going to walk past him. Now they know, because the religious leader just shared this a little bit ago. They know how important it is to love God and love people. But, but even with all this knowledge that they have, it doesn't change their hearts. Then we have a Samaritan who walks by and he stops to help. Now, he may not have been quite as religious as the Jewish people, but he still would have known about loving God and loving people. And unlike the priest and unlike the, the Levite, he lives this out. And it cracks me up because Jesus says, hey, which one's the real neighbor here? The religious leader, notice he doesn't say the Samaritan. He can't make himself say it, but he says the one who shows mercy. As we look at the story of the Samaritan, uh, as we will every single week in this series, the the real question is, what what can we learn from this parable? What can we we learn from the good Samaritan? And, And by the way, there's so many different answers to that. We could talk about so many different answers, but I want to focus on what I I think is sort of this bigger theme that is coming out of this particular parable. Jesus is asked a question, and he answers it, but I think he answers it on on two levels. On one level, he he answers it with a, a physical lesson, right? Loving your neighbor means helping people out. But he expands that. He's like, loving your neighbor just doesn't mean just helping the people that are like you out. It's loving people that may be very different than you. It's loving all people, not just those that are like you or think like you or look like you or act like you or believe like you. Like loving all people is this willingness to take care of the needs that other people may have in their life no matter what. Uh, To the point, we'll do whatever it takes to help them out at any time. And for Jesus, he exemplifies that by using the Samaritan in the story. So there's that physical lesson here, but then there's a spiritual lesson that Jesus is sharing with us too. And that's the more important piece to this. It's like you are willing to help your neighbor and to love your neighbor no matter what. And the reason is because of your love for God. If we say we follow Jesus, then I hope that we have an understanding of God's love for us. That that God sent Jesus to this earth as a gift, as a sacrifice, like this incredible, unconditional love that we get to see through who Jesus is. And because we understand that kind of unconditional love, we're now called to love others with that same kind of love which means we live a life of where we bless the lives of others. Uh, if uh, you were here with us in our first series we did this this year, it was all about bless, right? It was called Bless, and we talked about the ways we can bless people that are in our life, bless the one in our life, bless our, our neighbors. And we can go back to that and we say, hey, here's, here's a way that we can do this. Here's a way that we can show God's love to other people and how we can fully love them. Jesus says, you can love me or you can love God, but you do this, and because you understand that, you are loving people in the exact same way. Because you've experienced that same love in your own life. Now, that sounds pretty easy. It, it sounds simple. But I will tell you, I believe this is one of the hardest things for Christians to actually live out. I believe this is a struggle for so Many of us. And it really goes back to this, the story. This religious leader had all of this knowledge. It had all this knowledge. Knows the law. Knows what to do. But knowing and doing are two entirely different things. And again, I think too often we see this kind of play out in the world of, of Christianity. That um, we, we have this idea that knowledge is everything, that, that if I know everything I can about scripture and about the Bible and about details that are in there, that if I know that stuff, then I can better live my life, right? If I can memorize all this stuff and know everything that's in the, in the Bible and all this stuff about scripture and all these little details, if I know that, then I can go out and I can live my life by helping other people. But too often, we get stuck there. To too often it's all about the knowledge. Now I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying we shouldn't be knowledgeable, but I think the problem is we get so stuck on this knowledge piece that, that the issue is the knowing is there, but the acting on what we know actually never comes to fruition. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, What you do speaks so loud that I cannot hear what you say. We can have all this knowledge, but what truly speaks is our actions. The knowledge is only as good as the actions we take. And what I will tell you is if we're knowledgeable and that's all we have, we will never have the chance to influence the lives of others. It'd be very hard for people to pay attention or to listen or even get to know Jesus because all, all we kind of experience is this knowledge piece and we never experience the actions that are a part of that too. I mean, go back to our story. We, we have this priest. We have this Levite. They have amazing amounts of knowledge. I mean, they're really, really smart, right? So in, in kind of their level, um, it's like they're having, like some of you, they have multiple master's degrees. They have multiple PhDs in religion and theology, They've got all of this knowledge. But we read this story, and we know some experiences Jesus has with these religious leaders. It doesn't help them love God more, and it doesn't help them love people better. This knowledge that they had should have made them be be different and live a different life. They should have stopped and helped this guy. And yet what I think we find here is that their knowledge hindered their actions. Jesus faces this tension there with the religious leaders frequently and I think it really always comes back to this they think they know everything and because they think they know everything then they've got it all figured out and Jesus is like no no no, there's more to this but there's this one interaction I, I love it's probably my favorite interaction that Jesus has with the religious leaders and we find it in John chapter 5 starting with verse 39 it says you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Here's Jesus. He's like, you you guys spend all of your time trying to gain more knowledge. And you think spending all your time just in scripture and reading, is gonna give you everything you need. And he's kind of like, (laughs) you. All all that stuff that you've been spending all your time trying to figure out in your journal about and praying about. Oh, by the way, it's all about me. Like and, and I'm standing right here in front of you. And one translation kind of says, um, you, you've got your, your noses so far up in those books that you're missing me and I'm standing right here. And, and I think that can be very true of us. That, that we can feel like we have all this, this knowledge and, and insights and theology, and yet it can keep us from living the life that's intended for us to live. And here's Jesus who's saying the exact same thing. Jesus is like, you are so focused on the law. You're so focused on the stuff. You're so focused on gaining more knowledge. You're missing me. You're missing who I am. Follow me. And let me show you what this knowledge looks like when you put it into practice. For how many of us in our lives when it comes to following Jesus, or trying to be a, a follower of Christ? Or is it all about gaining more knowledge? Well, that knowledge isn't very good if we're not being changed deep inside. And when we're not being changed, here's what we do. We miss so many opportunities to, to, to put into practice what it looks like to love God and to love people better. And we're going to miss so many chances to, to leave a lasting impact on the life others. That's what happens here. This guy, this Samaritan who stops, he's leaving this incredible impression on the Samaritan about what unconditional love looks like. And I wonder how many times we've missed those opportunities in our own life because we're so focused on something like the law. From uh, the age of uh, 13 through um, college, every single summer, my summer job was landscaping. Um, guy in our church owned a company so started working with him and our day started at 6 a.m. Uh, which when you, you know you're that age is really really early and we we'd meet up at his office and then we get all the equipment ready and then we talk about all the jobs we were going to do that day and then our first stop was a gas station because you had to fuel up um, back in the day for me that meant fueling up was two little Debbie fudge rounds with a Mountain Dew every single morning you know what what happened to us, right? Like we used to be able to eat that and lose weight. <laughs> Doesn't happen anymore. I haven't had that food in many, many years. But, um, but that was kind of how the day would start. And then we take off. We go to whatever our job was. It, was. it was cutting grass. It was digging holes, planting trees. Um, if you're from North Carolina, you'll understand this. We laid pine needles. You didn't put mulch out. If you go to North Carolina, you, you have no mulch. It's, it's all pine needles, which I prefer pine needles. But by 3 p.m., you're done, right? Your day's done. You go home, you're covered in dirt, you're covered in grass, uh, you're covered in pine needles, uh, you smell like gas, you smell like cigarette smoke. It's kind of nasty. And then the next day you'd wake up and you start over all again. Now, now one of the reasons that I, I love this job was that it didn't matter what we did every single day. At the end of the day, you could see progress. You, you, you could see that you had sort of accomplished something, you had done something that, and maybe some days you had this finished product. That was about 30 some years ago, and we go back to see my parents who still live in the same community I grew up in, and we drive through this town called King, North Carolina is kind of where all our food places were and, and grocery stores. And maybe you've, you know, driven past there before, stopped to get something to eat there or get gas. But it's a really small little place. But there in King, North Carolina, there's a road called Jefferson Church Road. And it intersects with Main Street and King. And right there at that intersection, it used to be a Rite Aid. Now it's a Walgreens. But on the side of this Walgreens, there's this row of crepe myrtles that I helped plant 30 some years ago. And every time we go back there, you can ask my kids and my wife, I'm like, hey, guess what? Your dad planted those trees 30 some years ago. And the kids are like, we know, we don't care, leave us alone, right? <laughs> After all these years, I can still go back, and I can see the outcome of the work that was done on those really hot and humid days in the summer in North Carolina. There's this lasting impact from the work that we put in there. I wonder, do we really stop to think about how living out what we know by loving God more and loving people better, we can influence lives, maybe for a moment, maybe for years, maybe for a lifetime, but even for eternity that we have this ability to leave something that is lasting, something that is, is meaningful, that we have this power to influence others so they can also know what it means to love God more and to love people better. And the story of the Good Samaritan, it always brings me back to that. And, and it really, it, it makes me, look deep inside of myself it it makes me ask questions about am I living this out in my own life is it all about knowledge for me or or am I being better at loving God more and loving people better because I can tell you I, I grew up in a very homogeneous community I mean everybody there looked like me thought like me talked like me believed like me there was very little diversity there and then I grew up in a church There was a great church. I, I wouldn't be in ministry today if, if it hadn't been for that church. Um, so influential in my life. But I, I can tell you that that church knowledge was like what was really most important. So I, I, I knew how I was supposed to love God. Uh, and, I, you know, that meant going to church. And that meant being in a group. And that meant giving. That meant reading the scripture. That meant praying. I mean, you had all these things that you were, you were called to do. But I can tell you as I look back, I really didn't know how to love God people. And I can tell you that I, for a few years of my life, was more like the priest and the Levite than the Samaritan. But then over time and experiences in life and being able to work in New Jersey for a few years and and planting a church down in a college town in North Carolina and then being here in Northern Virginia uh, twice now, that it's through those experiences that that I learned, hey, knowledge is good, but it's only good if I'm living it out in actions. And then I think, how many times have I missed opportunities and chances to influence the life of somebody else because I was so much like the priest and the Levite and not the Samaritan. Knowledge is useless if we're not changed. Knowledge is useless if we're not living it out. And when we actually take what we know and we begin to live that out, God uses us in incredible ways with power to change lives and to help others understand what it looks like to maybe love God for the first time or to love God more while at the same time loving people better. I read the story of the Good Samaritan and... I see what I think God has called us to be. Followers of Jesus who love God and connect with God and are changed by God in such a way that no matter what, we will do whatever we can to fully love others. Not only people just like us, not only people confined to our community, but our neighbors, everyone. And in that, we're living a life just like the Samaritan lived. I just shared with you the story of these trees that were planted, those crepe myrtles that you can find at the corner of Jefferson Church Road and Main Street, and that's a picture of those four crepe myrtles that surprisingly still stand to this day. And, uh, and I, I can tell you that um, when I see those, I know my kids don't care, but for me it's like I left a mark there. I also left a lot of sweats probably quite a bit of blood and who knows what else but but those trees in the end they really don't mean a lot what matters is am i leaving a mark on the lives of others and as i read the story of the, the good samaritan i, I think it, it might take some sweat And it might take some blood and it might take some time and it might take some money. It may take some moments where I feel uncomfortable interacting with someone because they're not confined to my community and they think differently and act differently and believe differently than than I do. But in the end, that's who we're called to be. We're, We're not called to be like the priest or the Levite. We are called to be just like the good Samaritan. And my prayer is that as we leave this place today that we continue to grow in our faith in such a way that hey knowledge is good and i'm not saying don't have knowledge what i'm saying is are we acting on what we know are we living this incredible life that we've been called to live are we loving god more and loving people better cuz i think that's the lesson that jesus is trying to tell us through the story of the good Samaritan. As we come to our time of communion this morning, may this story be a reminder of that unconditional love that God has for you and for me, for all humanity. And may we live it out every single day. May we be people of unconditional love to others. And so right now, as we head into this time As we take the Swafer, whatever you may have at home, as we take this together today, may we learn to love God more. Let's take together. And as we drink together this morning, may we be changed in such a way that we love people better. Let's drink together. God, we are messy people. We are imperfect. And God, that's all of us. Those of us that are followers of Jesus, those of us that say we are, man, we sometimes, we get stuck. We're like the religious leaders. We get stuck in trying to gain more knowledge and we think that's just going to put us over the top to where we need to be but there's never much action that comes from what we know. May we be a people that lives a life where we take what we know to influence the lives of others. May we be a people who God love you more and love people better.